Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. In last week's message, we had great reminders uh, for us to be careful not to miss the moment that the Lord has us living in. Uh, and if you were here, you remember we were talking about this end time that God has this generation living in, and it's a special moment. A lot of people, uh, and I've said this even myself, uh, me and Rochelle were having this conversation just a couple weeks ago, uh, saying it's, it's tough to raise kids in this generation. Uh, it's a unique thing with technology the way it is, and, and, and all of them have to have it, and, and all these things swirling around. It's tough to raise kids in this generation, but at the same time, such a unique opportunity God's given to us. And I, I pray that I don't, that we don't, miss this moment, that we don't miss the moment of reaching this last generation uh, for the kingdom of God. We have technology, and that technology is being used and can be used. Uh, we have uh, abilities to get the gospel in ways that has never been, uh, you know, sent before. And so uh, let's not miss the moment. But the second thing was this, let's be careful to make amends. Uh, we remember in living in these last days with a shortness of time, if there's something that we know we've done to somebody, or something, some, some wrong that hasn't been righted. Uh, it's, it, life is too short, and, and, and it's too, uh, too important to, to just leave it lying like that. Let's make sure we go to the people maybe that we've wronged and make amends. Let's make sure that we make those wrongs right before it's too late. And so this week we move forward. We're going to see something very special, uh, very important, I think, for today. And uh, I want to pray and get into that and see what God has. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Again, we thank you for... Our freedoms, Lord, thank you for this freedom right now that we have uh, to gather here in this place in your name without fear of persecution. Uh, Lord, we can call your name out loud. We can, we can sing your name out loud. We can read your word freely. And we know we have brothers and sisters around the world that don't have these privileges, that don't have this blessing. And they would give everything if they could do that, if they could meet freely like this without fear of their life or fear of imprisonment. And so, God, help us not take for granted this great special gift of gathering as a body in your name, worshiping you publicly. And, um, Lord, I pray that beyond that, uh, that we would see the freedoms of being able to share our faith freely. Uh, there's even great uh, democracies across the world that it's illegal religiously to, to share faith. And so, Lord, we thank, we're thankful for that freedom, that we can do that here in this nation. And so many other freedoms, Lord, we thank you. For it. And we thank you for those that you've used throughout our history uh, to, to preserve that freedom, to give us that freedom, and that are still today fighting uh, to uh, ensure that we are able to do this still today. And so, God, we're thankful. We praise you for, for, for all the work that you've done and the people that you've used uh, in this regard. And we thank you for your word this morning that we're going to get into, the message. I pray that it would speak to each one of our hearts where we're at and that uh, we would be receptive, that we would take this message We'd use it, we'd apply it, we'd share it, whatever your purposes is in our life and through our life, uh, that they would be accomplished in this time. Lord, use me as a vessel just to, to speak this, this message in your word, uh, that you would be glorified, and again, your purposes would be accomplished. And uh, we praise you, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, so far we've seen in our journey with Jesus, and again, that's what we've been doing is answering that question, who do you say that I am? Jesus asking his disciples, who do you say that I am? And again, along the way, finding uh, hopefully a, a closer walk with Jesus. But we've seen him face some very difficult situations, uh, have to answer some very difficult questions. And of course, as God in the flesh, 
He's handled all of them perfectly. Uh, that's why I love, uh, it, for, for me in my life, I try to look at the example of Jesus with his followers, uh, with his critics, with everything. I try to look at his example and say, that's the kind of leader that I want to be. That's what I want to do. Even though the world says, hey, you should do this, you should say this, you should do this when somebody does this to you, I want to follow Jesus' example. I'm not perfect in that, but that's, I'm just sharing, that's what my heart is. That's what I want to desire to do. And I think that's what all of us, of course, are supposed to be doing as followers of Jesus Christ. But I do want to share this. Oftentimes, as a pastor, uh, we face different situations and different questions uh, that you know, that I know, uh, are asked to test me, uh, to try me. And uh, sometimes it's by the person. Uh, specifically, I know that they're testing me, they're trying me, uh, and that's okay. And then sometimes uh, I realize that circumstances or questions that I'm facing, um, the Lord is using uh, to test me and to try me in those times and use, uh, intending to grow me through that. And so, uh, and, and what I mean by that is that these are situations or questions uh, where the person isn't necessarily going to like the answer that they give, uh, that they get from me. Uh, but I have a choice. And, and again, maybe you faced these situations before and you know you have a choice. Here's the choice. You know that you can either tell them the reality or the truth in that or you can avoid it just to keep the peace. And, and maybe you've had that in your family. Maybe you've had that in your workplace. You say, this person's asking me uh, because they are looking to start a fight or something, uh, uh, an argument, uh, something like that. They're just wanting to get into it with me. Maybe it's happened on Facebook before. And, and you're like, man, I, uh, I don't know. If I answer the question truthfully, they probably ain't going to like me anymore. They're not going to like what I have to say uh, and so your, your choice, you're, you're left with a choice. Do I do that or do I say, you know what, I'm just going to avoid that um, so that they don't get all mad and all this drama doesn't come flying at me. Uh, and so again, we face those situations. And again, as a pastor, face those. Uh, but I want to say this. I think peace can be had uh, even and especially if the truth is given. But it requires a couple things. First of all, it requires grace to tell. And it also requires a receptive heart to hear. Um, a lot of people don't necessarily tell the truth with grace. Uh, they say, well, I'm telling the truth in love because, because I love them. I'm going to tell them the truth. And they do it in a way that's not very gracious. It's not, it's not uh, the way that I think the Lord maybe would have handled it. Um, and so it becomes divisive. It becomes tearing down, cutting, condescending, whatever the case may be in that regard. But uh, I do believe that you can tell someone the truth in grace even if they don't like it. And I think peace can be had because of that. But it does require the hearer to say, I'm willing to listen to what they have to say. I'm asking them a question. I'm willing to hear what they have to say and to receive it with a receptive heart, a gracious heart. Um, and again, no doubt Jesus told the, grace, uh, told the truth with grace as he walked this earth, but he often found very unreceptive hearts. And so uh, we're going to see a situation this morning, a very difficult dis uh, situation he was put in, uh, a, a, a scenario, a question that he faced. And humanly speaking, uh, we look at it and say, man, that would be very hard to answer. Uh, how, how do you answer a question? How do you answer a situation like that? And so let's look at it in Luke chapter 13, verse 1. We're going to pick up. It says, There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. So this is what happened. Pilate, again, uh, having people executed, killed, and even while they were sacrificing to God, and so this was something um, that was a controversy. It was a problem 
because these people were being slain, their blood being shed, and the act of their sacrifices being made to God, which is a holy thing. Um, so, this is the scenario. These questions, hey, what do we do about this? What does this mean about this? So look what Jesus does in verse 2. And Jesus answered and said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans who were slain as they were sacrificing uh, were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. So again, Jesus knowing their hearts, he's presented to these people uh, this scenario. And he knew that they were thinking, well, maybe because uh, they were sacrificing and they were killed in the act of sacrificing, that maybe God was striking them down, or maybe they were greater sinners, and that's why that happened to them in the moment of their sacrifice. Again, Jesus is reading their heart, and he's saying, so this is what you guys are thinking. This is what's going on in your heart, that because they were doing something right, they were executed during that time, and their blood was mingled with the, the, the blood of sacrifices, that they were greater sinners than everybody else. And look at what he answers in verse 3. I tell you, no, that's not the case. But except ye repent, you shall all likewise perish. Or those 18, he gives another situation. Upon whom the tower of Siloam fell and slew them. Think ye that they were sinners above all the men that dwell in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. So again, Jesus kind of given two scenarios, given a story, a real account of 18 people dying, this tower, construction tower falling down and killing them. And he says, so uh, these, these are the things that you're thinking, that just because something bad happens to somebody uh, who is innocent or somebody who is doing something good, uh, that they were a worse sinner than everybody else. And that's how things work in this life. And Jesus says, no, that's not the reality. His point was, and he was teaching them, and point number one in our notes is this, is death is our common denominator. For every single one of us, death is our common denominator. Jesus, again, given these two examples, made this very clear. Those that were killed while they were sacrificing, those 18 that weren't doing necessarily anything wrong, that were killed by a tower falling, all had the same thing. Being killed or not being killed, he was saying, is not a, determinations, a ter determination of someone's righteousness or someone's right standing before God. Uh, we we um, had a, a celebration of life for a, a great uh, woman of God yesterday, Miss Peggy Terrell. Um, we said goodbye to uh, her last Wednesday uh, as she, the Lord took her home. Uh, but yesterday, celebrating her life, remembering uh, the love and the faithfulness that she had and she exhibited. Um, and, I, and I shared with the church, uh, was shared with the, 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 the family and, and those that were present, that it was even the last day that she was physically able to be here, walking in on a, on a, on a, a, a walker, she, that she went to the, the hospital, found out, and found out she had cancer in her lung. And again, just a testimony of someone being faithful to God, someone loving God. And, and she used to, when she had the health, go around, her and Ms. Dawn and, and, and others, uh, handing out tracts and witnessing and, and being heavily involved in the church outreach. And then when, when health wouldn't enable that anymore, still very active and involved in, in whatever she could do, specifically praying week after week. And I, and I said this at the, at the memorial, the service yesterday, um, that she ran well and that she finished well. And, and so we look at a person's life like that and, and, and it gets cancer and some people say, well, uh, you know, she was older in life and she lived a full life, absolutely. But it happens to everybody. 
It happens to children, just as the Colson Sprague ministry exists for, uh, to minister to those families. It happens to young, healthy people. And so we look at this question, and, and again, this, this matter of death isn't uh, necessarily a pointing to someone's right standing with God versus someone's wrong standing with God. And in a similar fashion, one's state in life isn't a correlation either. Well, they're rich. They, they, they have all these things. They must be right with God. No. Well, they have nothing. They are poor. Nothing they do seems to prosper. They must be wrong with God. No. <laughs> That's not it either. Jesus, as he was in Jerusalem, we're told that in John uh, that he sees a blind man, and, and they come upon him as disciples, ask him, hey, so who sinned because, and, and made this man blind? Was it him or was it his parents? And I want to look at that story a little bit because, again, it kind of gives us a, a, a scenario of the reality in our lives. John chapter 9, verse 3, it says, Neither hath this man sinned, this is Jesus answering them, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. I must work the works of him that sent me while his day, the night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle. He anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way therefore and washed, and he came seeing. Sometimes our view of life, our view of death, our view of circumstances in life is skewed uh, by human wisdom, uh, by sin. So many different things skew our understanding of God's working in our lives. Again, the disciples walking with Jesus had that thought. Look, this guy's blind, so he must have done something wrong, or his parents must, must have done something wrong, and that's the reason why he's blind. Again, if we look at children getting cancer, we look at uh, healthy people getting cancer, we look at senior saints serving God getting cancer, or other, other factors of death and life and struggles in this life, that's not necessarily the case. That because of their sins or because someone else sins in their family, their heritage, that they're dealing with those circumstances. Now these things aren't to take away from a couple of truths. The first truth is this. Death does exist because of sin. It does. Uh, the Bible tells us that. That by one man's sin, death entered into, into the world in Romans chapter 5. And so we know that the reason why we deal with death, the reason why we deal with sickness and disease and struggles in this life, all of it has to do with sin, but not particularly, necessarily particularly one person's sin per se. So in other words, it, it doesn't mean that because this man was blind, he sinned or his parents sinned. It's not necessarily the case. He's dealing with blindness because there's sin in the world. But there is a flip side to that coin, and that's number two. Death can be a direct consequence of sin, or a judgment from God. And so again, for example, if someone's been entangled with the bondage of alcohol, and they get drunk, they get behind the wheel of a car, and they drive, and they crash into somebody else, and they kill them, or they kill themselves, that is a direct result, a direct consequence of a sin. So there's two sides to that. But just because there's bad in the world, just because maybe you're going through something negative, just because uh, you lose a loved one or just because sickness comes to your family and you say man I'm striving after Jesus I'm living every day of my life I'm in his word I'm talking to him I'm witnessing for him I'm faithful we're doing everything and we cannot pay our bills and we cannot stay healthy or we have this great disease that we're dealing with now or we just lost our loved one what are we doing wrong 
It's not particularly the case. Maybe it's the case, but it's not particularly the case uh, because there's negative in the world or there's bad in the world or there's death existing in the world. Again, death for every single human being on this, on this earth is our common denominator. We all have to deal with death. We all have to face the reality that that is an appointment each one of us has. With all this, we also know that God is the only source of life. He is the only source of life. He's the creator of life. Therefore, he alone can determine when someone leaves this temporal world. That's God's call. You say, no, no, there's certain circumstances where somebody takes their own. No, no, no. There's circumstances where people have tried that and God said no. God is the one who decides who has life and who doesn't. And in our lives, in our minds sometimes, that's what we wrestle with. We say, well, why is it that this innocent child, why is it that this, this great contributor to society, this great contributor to the kingdom of God comes down with this or, or is taken from this life so soon? Why in our minds, in our temporal minds, in our human wisdom, in the emotions that we deal with, it's hard to deal with. It's hard to, to, to make it through all of those things, but we come to a place, we have to come to a place where we realize death is our common denominator. God is the author of life. And God is good, and he's right, and he's wise, and all his judgments are good. And so when something goes on, God has a purpose that us in our temporal minds, with our temporal eyes and temporal understanding, may not get and see right now. But God is good, and he's right, regardless. Again, Scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter 9, 27, that there's an appointment with death that every single one of us have. And after that appointment, we face the judgment. And then if we know that God is good, know that he's just, that every death that occurs in this temporal world is according to God's eternal timeline. If we understand all that, even if we don't see, even if we don't know that timeline for death's purposes, we still have to trust him. We still have to trust that he is doing right, that his judgments and all these things are right. And so with death being all of our common denominators, we must know every single day that we live on this earth that God has given us a gift of grace. So when we get up, we, we get up uh, this morning and we go through our routine to get ready to come to worship uh, as a body, we have to know it's a gift of grace to God. Tomorrow morning, if, 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 if the sun rises for us and our eyes open and lungs uh, fill with, with oxygen and we're able to get out of the bed and face another day, it is because it's a gift of grace from God to us. It's a gift. May we never get to a place in our life that we feel like that we're good enough or worthy enough that we're entitled to have more than what God has blessed us with in this moment. Every gift is a gift of grace. And every moment is a gift of grace. But beyond that, those who are in Christ, if you're here and you say, I know I'm saved, I know that death is a reality, it's hard, it's difficult, I've faced it, I'm, I've lost this person, I've lost that person, this person's got sickness and disease and cancer, and, and again, that's where you are. But those of us who are in Christ, who are born again, who've surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, we understand this, we will never die. We will never die. For those of us who are saved, 
We will never die. And you say, yeah, but just like you said, I mean, uh, we said goodbye to Miss Peggy Terrell. I mean, uh, she died. She, 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 her, her body stopped. That's exactly right. Her temporal body stopped for a while. Those of us who are saved, death is but a door. It's a door to enter into the eternal rest, the eternal promises of our Savior, to be in His presence from that time forevermore. But death is also a door for those who aren't saved. But it's a door that opens to a very different eternal reality. It's a door that opens to a very dark and hopeless and helpless eternity of death. Scripture is clear on these two points as well. In John chapter 3, verse 16, a very familiar scripture. We're going to probably quote it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. But verse 17 is important as well. It says, For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. John chapter 11, Jesus talking to a woman. He says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. Listen to what He says. He that believeth in Me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in Me shall never die. That's why the Apostle Paul wrote in his letters, Concerning those who died in Jesus Christ, he, meant, he uses the word asleep. Those who sleep, those who are asleep in the Lord. Again, that's the truth. Those of us who are saved, those of us who are born again, who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, we look at death, we look at sickness, we look at disease, and all the things that we have to face because of sin. But we don't have to fear death. We don't have to worry about death. We don't have to have no hope in death because we know that death is simply a door that has to be open for us to enter into the eternal presence of our eternal home. This isn't a temporal dwelling place. These are temporal vessels. And one day that door will open and we'll enter into the place that God has destined for us to be. And that's something for us to, hard for us to wrap our mind around because uh, I was talking to Rochelle. I, we were driving uh, in the, uh, the line to the, the uh, graveside yesterday. And I said, this is going to be hard for me. I'm going to miss her a lot. You know, and, and it, it just, it, it's such a, and I share this in the funerals, it's such a mystery to me. It's such a mystery. That vehicle is so hard because that person that we in, encountered, the person that we saw and hugged and talked to, all those things, we, we see them laying in this box. But that's not them anymore. That was a vehicle. The person we knew, the person that we interacted with, is in the presence of God if they're saved. And, and, and so this, this mindset that we have that um, is hard for us to, to grab in this life, it only exists because this is what we're experiencing right now. You can see me after service. Hopefully we'll hug each other's necks and, and, and see each other at fellowship. And we'll, I mean, this is the interaction that we have. But it's just for a few years. When that door opens and we cross through and we get to the other side and we're there for all of eternity, that will be our life. That will be what it's all about. This is not what it's all about. This is the, 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 the incubation period, if you will. This is the place where all the eggs hatch. This is, this is where we are born again, and we try to reach other people to see them born again. But beyond this is the life that God destined, that he desired for all of us. 
And so again, we realize that death is a common denominator, something that we all have to deal with. It's a part of our life. It's, it's just, it, it's part of it because of sin. But that reality that for us as Christians, we'll never die, gives us hope, gives us encouragement. Uh, Miss, Miss Peggy, it, it, her, her body is asleep, uh, but she is, she is in the presence of God. The Bible says that, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But again, the other is true, as I said a while ago, in John chapter 3, verse 18, there's a very dark existence, a very dark eternity for those who haven't placed their faith in Jesus Christ. It's a hopeless, helpless existence. When they, when they leave this life and death enters their life, they, cross, they open that door, and it's very different because John chapter 3, verse 18, after verse 17, says this, He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he had not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Many people say, so if I don't trust Jesus Christ, you're telling me I'm going to stand before God one day? And God, even if I've never murdered anybody, I've not done as many bad things as so many people, I'm going to stand before God and God's going to send me to hell, a place that he, he designed for Satan and Satan's angels, Satan's demons. God's going to send me there and he's a God of love? That's absolutely right, he's a God of love. Because verse 16 says he so loved the world that he gave, he paid the price. But every single person, because sin entered into the world, every single person has condemnation, has judgment, has death on the account of their life already every single person it's only through the grace it's only through the salvation of jesus christ that that changes but for those who are lost that's the condemnation that's the judgment they have and the very dark reality is shown in, in revelations chapter 20 verse 11 uh, well actually verse 10 we'll start it says the devil that deceived them was cast in a lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented listen to this day and night forever and ever Listen to that. Shall be tormented day and night without help, without hope, forever and ever. And then it goes on to explain. So not only the beast and the false prophet, not only the devil, but other people as well. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the, the earth and the heaven uh, fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, the dead, not the alive. Remember what Jesus said? Whoever believes in me shall never die, that he's alive, shall have life, eternal life. So this is talking about those who didn't have life, those who did not have Christ, those who did not have eternal life because of their faith in Jesus Christ. He said, I saw the dead, small and great, those lost who rejected Jesus Christ, whether they were great in this world or small in this world. The, 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 the factor wasn't what they had, what they didn't have. The factor was they didn't trust Jesus Christ. They stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was open, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered uh, delivered up the dead and, uh, which were in them and they were judged every man according to their works and listen to verse 14 and death and hell were cast in the lake of fire this is the second death and whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire an eternal death those who reject Jesus Christ their existence for, just like those of us who have trusted Jesus Christ 
we can realize this life is just, like I said, the incubation period. It's just where the eggs are hatched, where we are born again, where we get the blessings of enjoying each other's fellowship and the blessings of family. It's not about our jobs. It's not about our money. It's not about our hobbies. It's not about any of those things. We get the blessings of the relationships and, and again, have salvation, be restored, reconciled back to God, all those things. But it's just a temporal time, and then we'll be to our eternal destiny when we go through that door. That is so full of light and hope, but the other side is so full of darkness and despair. If you leave this life without Jesus Christ, there's no alternative. It's only the lake of fire, eternal death. As the Bible says, day and night, being tormented forever and ever. It's not what God's design was. Sin broke it, but God fixed it, and we have the opportunity. That's why it's so important for us to live with that hope and to share that hope with so many people who need it, who are lost, because that's the reality beyond this life. Death in this life is our common denominator, but point two is this, repentance is our coup de grace. So I said, what a what? <laughs> it's our coup de grace for, for death. Jesus was teaching them that death was inevitable, that it would come to all, it, 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 that death wasn't, wasn't uh, dependent upon a person's righteousness or social standing or, or, or monetary success or lack thereof, none of that. That death was a common denominator. It was coming to every person unless repentance occurred is what Jesus said. He said, you're all, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. It is, the, it is the common denominator and the only decisive finishing blow that you can give to death in your life is to repent. That's what he said. So coup de, that's what coup de grace means. It's a stroke of grace. Uh, it, it simply means a, a, a finishing blow, an action that finishes something. And so to repent, if we think, okay, so what does that mean? The, the finishing blow to death is repentance. What is repent? We know, many of us know what repent means. It's to turn away from something and turn to something. You don't turn away from something and turn to nothing. You turn away from sin and turn to Jesus Christ. So repentance is actually an act of faith. It's us saying, I'm turning away from sin and turning to Jesus Christ. And in that act of turning away from and turning to Jesus, we deliver a death blow to death itself in our individual lives. That's exactly what Jesus was teaching. That's exactly what the truth is for our lives today. So when repentance occurs in someone's life, salvation can happen. It means a life decision has been made. It means that you have said, you know, not, not for just this moment because I, I'm afraid of hell, not just because a, a convenience, because everybody else is doing it, it's popular, not because of an emotion, but this is a decision for life. This is what I'm doing as a direction of my whole purpose, of my whole being. I'm turning away from myself. I'm turning away from sin. I'm turning away from the world. I'm turning away from every single thing and I'm turning to Jesus Christ. His person, as Lord and Savior, his sacrifice on the cross for sin, his resurrection that guarantees that I have eternal life, and again, this encompasses him being Lord. That's so vital. 
That's what Jesus taught in his, as he was walking. We've seen that already. Uh, the faith that many have today, or that say they have today, it doesn't encompass Jesus as Lord. And I want to say this. If Jesus is not both your Savior and Lord, he's not either. He's not your Savior. He has to be Savior and Lord. What does Lord mean? Lord means he's the director. It means he's the Lord. He's the master. He's the one that says, and, you're, and we're the ones that do. And so to be saved, to be his child, we have to forsake all and follow him. That's Jesus' words. Forsake all and follow me. And so in doing that, it's saying us, us saying, I'm turning from all this and turning to you as Savior and Lord and following your path of righteousness. In repentance, we say, I was going my way. I was going sin's way. I was going the world's way. But I turned from all of that. And I turned to Jesus, his way, and his word. And again, this type of saving faith, this repentance, doesn't occur in the mind. It's not some logistical decision. It's not some logical decision. It's not some emotional decision. It doesn't happen like that. It doesn't happen as a checklist item. Well, all my family have done this, and so I need to check that list. It's not about that. It's prompted only by contrition and conviction. When we come to a place and we realize that we are sinners, that we have offended the holy God that created us, we realize that it's our personal sin that have offended him, not just the general sin of mankind, but our sin, the thoughts we've had, the words we've said, the things we've done, was the reason why Almighty God, holy, came to this earth and laid his life down on a cross, shedding his blood to pay for that sin. And when that, that reality hits our heart in such a way that we become broken, that we become sorrowful, that, it, that captivates our, our, our entire being, that's when repentance can be had. That's when it happens. The act of repentance is open. And it's available, even today, because of God's grace. And it's effective only because of what Jesus already did. You see, repentance is the coup de grace of, of death. Jesus just said that. You'll perish unless you repent. Everybody will, will, will perish, will die, eternally die that death unless you repent. The only reason that we have that open door is because of what Jesus did. He defeated death in his resurrection. We already saw that in John chapter 11 very clearly. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look what it says. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Remember what that means. It means those who die in Jesus Christ. Those who have faith in Jesus Christ and pass away in this life. He said, we're not all going to sleep, but we shall all be changed. He's talking to Christians. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And listen to what he says. This is a truth that has to happen. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. This mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the, the, the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? 
The sting of uh, death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. What he's saying is, look, what gives death its, uh, its power, what, uh, what causes death is sin, the sting of sin. And beyond that, the strength of sin, what shows us what sin is, is the law. So we find ourselves in a hopeless situation without Christ, and that's what he says next. But thanks be to God, which gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the only way, our only hope of repentance and salvation and missing death, delivering that final finishing blow to death, is only because of what Jesus Christ did on our behalf. It's only because of his death and his resurrection that we can receive this open door. On top of the work of defeating death, sting, and his resurrection, we have a promise. Those who do repent and turn to Christ of what, death, what our destiny is as well. Look at what the Bible said again in, in Revelation chapter 20. Because there's, there's a transformation that happens there. We see it in verse 14. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. Death and, and Hades cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. The first death, we know what it is. We, we see it happen in our lives uh, when someone passes in this life. But the second death, again, we see that death turns from a temporal experience that all of us experience, that common denominator. It turns from a temporal experience to an eternal reality at this great white throne of judgment. Death no longer is just something that we experience. It becomes a, 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 an experience. It becomes a reality. It becomes an existence for all. For all those who reject Jesus Christ. In that, this transformation of death becomes something, again, experienced and we see in this life. To eternal lake of fire. This eternal dying becomes an eternal home for those who did refuse to repent on this earth. When they had the chance. It's very sobering. Very sobering truth here. When we think about Memorial Day and we think about those who said, oh, the cost is worth it to serve the nation, to help preserve the freedom is worth it. And those that paid the, the price, um, paid the ultimate price for you and I. And again, this is a temporal liberty, again, a liberty given to us by God, but men and women who have done that on our behalf, we're so grateful. But when we think about death and its finality, this second death, this lake of fire, this eternal home for all those who reject Jesus, who truly don't repent and turn to Jesus, very sobering. But it also underscores very heavily the urgency that we need to repent while there's time before it's eternally too late. Not only that, it underscores for the church the call to urgently share the good news that Jesus alone saves with those who are perishing while we can. Again, Jesus has already done the work. He's already made the way. He is the door. He said that he's the door. The grace is still extended. The opportunity is still there. 
But every person has to make a decision. And you and I, as the church of Jesus Christ, those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, we are the messengers. We are the vehicle. We are the ones that he said, you've got to go and tell them before it's too late. The wrath is real. The eternity, the torment, day and night, forever and ever, it's real. And you are my people who I've redeemed, who I've given life, eternal life, that you, have no, you don't have to have despair in death. You don't have to have no hope in death. You have hope regardless because I have a, a home that I'm preparing for you for all of eternity. You are my people, and I need you to get this urgent message that I save while there's still time. He's provided the only solution to death. He's provided a means for each of us to miss it. But if repentance is that, that coup, coup de grace for death, if it's that final blow to death, then why doesn't everyone do it? Why isn't every single person in, in this room, why is, maybe they are, but why isn't every single person on the face of the earth, if we know that God said repentance is the way you miss death, Turning from sin, turning from the world, turning from yourself, and turning to Jesus Christ in absolute faith. If repentance is that, that final blow for death, that way we can know that all of us will be together with all of our families and friends and, and all that for all of eternity. If repentance is that, that death blow, why doesn't everyone do it in order to miss death? I think it's an issue for many people, and I'll close. Here are the reasons, I believe. Number one, it means change, and many people don't like change. People like the way they're living their lives. They like the way their life is. And if they change and they turn to Jesus Christ, what does it mean as far as my life being completely rearranged? I don't know that I like that. And I don't know what if I want to do that. So many people don't repent because it's going to mean change. And it does mean change. If you repented and turned to Jesus Christ, your life changed. If your life didn't change, you didn't repent and turn to Jesus Christ. That's the scripture. Number two, reason why people have a hard time repenting, it means giving up something that has an illusion to mean something, but is actually change, chains, like sin. A lot of times people say, well, I, I want to get saved, I want to go to heaven, I don't want to go to hell, but do I have to give up this? Do I have to stop doing this? And again, it's been a factor for many people of not giving up and, and following Jesus Christ because there's something in their life that they are holding on to that they think means so much. It's actually just bondage that's keeping them in bondage on their way to an eternal death. Number three, it means a surrender. And we live in a world where many people are drunk on control. People don't like, in, this, in our day and time, people like to have control. People like to, to have the say, like to live their own life, do their own thing, and have the reins themselves. And when we get saved, when we repent and turn to Jesus, it's an absolute letting go of the reins. It's an absolute letting go of everything and surrendering to Jesus Christ. And so people don't like to repent because it means surrender. And fourth and finally, as the musicians make their way, it means humbling oneself in a world that's promoting and supporting pride. We live in a world that says, hey, you need to be the very best version of you. And I don't, uh, you've heard me say this. Well, I think that we need to, uh, again, Scripture tells us to do everything as unto the Lord. We should strive after Christ. We should do all the things we should do with, with excellency as unto the Lord. But it's not that kind of pride. It's not that type of striving. It's not that type of ambition that the world promotes. The world promotes you need to look out for you. You need to do what pleases you. 
You need to be successful for you. You need to have all these things for you. you all these things. You, it's about pride. It's, a, it's about all those things. And Repentance means you've got to humble yourself and let go of yourself. Let go of pride. Turning to Jesus Christ. And again, there's a lot, a lot of people that like that in the world system today. So two vital truths this morning. Death is our common, denom common denominator. We will all face the door of death. However, those who refuse to exercise point two will suffer the eternal consequences of sin, which is an eternal death. Point being, again, repentance is our only coup de grace, is our only finishing blow for death. And so if you haven't repented already, if you haven't turned to Jesus Christ in faith, if you haven't surrendered, if you haven't turned away from sin, if you haven't humbled yourself and made him the Lord and Savior of your life, if you haven't accepted his sacrifice and his resurrection, today is the day. Don't delay. Take the open door in this life before it's too late in the next. Take the opportunity now. Don't chance it. Again, I was just sharing this morning we're going to be baptizing a little girl. I'm a fourth grade, fifth grade. I was, I was fourth grade when it happened to me. Four years old, went through the motions, said the prayer. My mom told me the story, went into a baptismal water. But I didn't fully understand what it all meant. So I grew, got older, going to church, going to Christian school. Realized I was 10 years old. I don't think I did that. <laughs> I think I just said a prayer. In that moment as a 10-year-old, I remember giving my life to Jesus Christ, knowing that I was making him the Lord of my life, that I was trusting him and him alone, that he was going to have my life, that I was his child to obey him for the rest of my life. And my life was different. Yeah, at 10 years old, I wasn't living this great life of sin. <laughs> but I know things changed on the inside. Things changed in my life. And so if that hadn't happened to you, take this opportunity. We had, had, had a gentleman uh, in the last few months, same thing, two, two gentlemen, same thing, grown with families, saying, you know what, I'm not chancing this eternity business. They knew, they'd made professions, but they made it sure. He said, why are you harp on that? Because I'm telling you this, I love all of you, and I don't want anybody to go to hell. I don't care how long you've gone to church, I don't care how much you know if you don't have 100% assurance that you're going to heaven when you die no matter what happens if you don't have 100% assurance that that home that Jesus is preparing that eternal life that destiny that he wants for all of us is yours 100% don't chance it don't risk it make it right exercise that that finishing blow to death and if you are Christ, if you've repented, you know you're saved, you know heaven, that, that his, the new Jerusalem and the new heaven, new earth is, is your eternal home, you know those things, no shadow of a doubt in your mind, 100% you're Christ. If that's you, then along with me, we can't sit idly by if we know these truths that we saw this morning. We can't sit idly by. Showing up for a church service is very important, but it's not all there is to the Christian life. 
We are the ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We are the messengers. We are the vehicle of the gospel of Jesus Christ in a temporal world where there's only a short amount of time left. We can't sit idly by knowing these things. We have to live in urgency. We have to live in purpose, warning the perishing before they perish for all of eternity. And so my question to us Christians is this, are you, am I, are we living with the urgency to get the lost, this message, or not? And if not, let's change that. Maybe simply by coming to this altar this morning and saying, God, I've been living very selfishly. I know I gave you my life, and I've been trying to follow you, but you know my life and you know my heart. I'm not living with urgency to reach the lost. I'm not even praying for the lost. I'm not doing anything to help those who are headed to an eternal death. I'm not doing anything to help them. And they'll be there tormented day and night forever and ever. And I'm not doing anything to stop anybody. Maybe you need to come this morning and say, you know what? I want to start fighting the good fight of faith. I want to start doing anything and everything I can to warn people of what's ahead so they don't have to spend that that eternity that's, that's reserved for Satan and his demons. And whatever the Lord's working on your heart, and if, if, if you say, I've, I've not repented, I thought I've repented, but I've not repented, I'm begging you, come down here, let, let our minister show you out of God's word, maybe say, no, I already know, I just need to do it, I need to, make it, I need to make it public, I just need to give my life to Christ, then I'm asking you to come at this invitation as well. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Again, thank you for your word and these two important truths, Lord, we realize that death is our common denominator, that we, we have to face that in this life because of sin. We also realize it's a door that leads to two very different eternal destinations. Lord, help those of us who have placed our faith in Jesus, help us live with urgency. Help us not get drunk or, or, or mesmerized by the, thing in this, in this, the things in this world where we're living for those things alone and, and, and forgetting that there are the people that are dying every day going through that door that leads to darkness for all of eternity. Help us see every day as a gift of grace and live it out to the fullness. Get in the gospel to as many people as we can. Live in our lives with purpose, the purpose that you've given to us, not something else that we've created or the world's created for ourselves. Lord, if there's somebody here who's not repented, they've not truly given their life to you, I pray you'd move them this morning. Help them make that decision once and for all to settle this matter and know 100% that heaven's going to be the eternal home. Lord, just move now. We'll praise you for all of it. And we ask all of this in Jesus' name.